Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chai with Rai. Hi, I'm your host, Rai, and if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you love this podcast and are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or wherever you stream your podcast from, don't know why my voice just did that, <laughs> if you could do me a kind favor and make sure to rate the podcast and share it on your socials, your stories, and spread the word. It organically grows the show and connects us with listeners who haven't tuned in before and overall just shares the love. Isn't that what we want at the end of the day? Just love. Now today's wisdom is chat clip comes from my chat with Sunil Gupta who is a photographer curator author and activist from our chat of episode 17 of Chai with Rai. I wanted to put out something for Pride and I was scrolling through the episode and I was like what better than my chat with Sunil because he was so transparent in his conversations about well, sex because <laughs> we talk about cruising and douche. We also discuss his transparency in his work how he documented his HIV journey. We also get into activism and politics and socialism which is what these clips are all about so going back to that in these clips sunil discusses a lack of representation for gay Asians in the uk how we have black pride and other movements but nothing for asians or other communities which i just want to put a disclaimer from if you're listening to this it has nothing to do with the work or the messages of these movements it is simply to do with the fact that we need platforms on a large scale for every single person out there which is an interesting conversation to have because somebody will always feel left out right but yeah that's what the conversation is about he also goes into how organizations such as shakti were set up as a safe space as a safe haven for young asian men from a concept of chai and samosas in its early days which i just loved hearing about he also talks how often you can be fetishized to being the poster child for gay asians at times in rooms because of his work he also discusses activism and being queer in the 80s from section 28 and how today as a community of lgbtq+ you have a right you have a responsibility to continue the work and not be complacent. He also discusses being Asian in the 80s, being identified as black and how the community felt about that. To recently the work of Indian youth for section 377. So, this is a really really good one and I hope you enjoy this and let's dive into this wise cup of chai. And the thing that plagues me all my professional life is that I went to India and made 12 pictures of Indian homosexual men because it was pressing personal need of mind to find out what's happening in the you know motherland kind of thing yeah ever since then people ask me what's it like for gay indians and i have to remind them that you know india has 1 billion people and i've met 12 you know that not the pic- i cannot be the pic- i can't tell you what's happening in india i can tell you what's happening to 12 of them I can't tell you what's happening to the millions of the other ones who i never met i think the way our media works and the way our culture works and with all of this excess media that we look for uh, spokespeople or experts people become experts with data of only five ex- five examples I've seen PhD theses that are based on a handful of people's opinions that become like India's like that. Well obviously yeah. how that's not true, you know. I think it's the nature of our media like this happens. Like I sometimes when a book is published or like when the show happens then I'm suddenly being called upon by more mainstream like let's say BBC type media. Mhm. You know what's it like in India? I'm thinking really just me you know like <laughs> I'm not a sociologist you know I will study society in that way I take some snaps yeah you know so I can tell you about those and I can tell you about English speaking middle class 
city dwelling guys in the north, you know, that's who I know. I've never really lived in, in Bombay or Hyderabad or Bangalore. I can't really tell yeah. you. I can guess what's happening there. And what's happening in between is complete mystery to me because I haven't really been there and experienced that. So that way, I try not be a spokesperson for gay Indians there or gay Asians here because yeah. equally, you know, I just know a handful of people. So maybe I can make a project. Maybe I need <laughs> yeah. to know more. You know, I feel like yeah. I don't know enough. I know sporadic bits. So I knew about Shakti time and I knew a little bit later on and then I, you know, there are gaps in it. And then uh, I'm, I'm quite surprised how gay Asians in this country are still so invisible. That does surprise me. Yeah, because I mean, I'd be talking about the 80s for heaven's sake when we were trying to become visible and it still hasn't happened. We have Black Lives Matter, yes, but we, and don't, you have Black Pride. we don't have gay Indians matter, or gay <laughs> South Asians matter. All for the other communities. No, it's true. I went to. It, it, I've been, yeah. So yeah. So that's irritating. Yeah. But then I'm not uh, the person who's going to lead some kind of, uh, you know, huge activism about it. Maybe you can. You're the right age. <laughs> if you feel strongly enough about it, you go back to yourself. You yeah. can't rely on other people. That's been my experience. If you're waiting for it to happen, it ain't gonna happen. You gotta make it happen if you feel like something needs sorting out. I mean. Uh, I found myself back in India in the early, in the mid 2000s, amongst a very new generation who were coming out of uh, graduate school. So uh, maybe in their early twenties and they were completely different. They wanted change and they wanted it now and they were not going to wait. You know, my generation in India said they would, India is like timeless and ancient and it doesn't change is not what it does. You know, it does what it always did. It's a traditional place. They didn't even think it was possible to change. But now, so then when I suddenly back there after 40 years, I see all this very, you know, uh, articulate demand for change. And they got it in the sense that they did manage to change the law. Uh, none of those kids that I knew then who are now beyond marriageable age, let's say, in Indian terms, no, because that's a big anxiety, yeah. have not given in. You know, they're not married. They're living gay lifestyles, they're living with partners, they're living with gay friends. It's not that different from some circles of people here in London. So I think that they are leading the way, you know, and they're not following in the footsteps of sad old gay men like me, you know, who got married and played along because we didn't think we had a choice. So yeah, I think, uh, so my work coming back to that, that has been to try to be in these moments of change in, uh, with a camera. So this young group of kids was actually formally organized into an activist group and mm -hmm. they invited me in. Although I was older than their parents, I did, I joined them. It was, uh, it saved my whole experience of being there, you know, so my, my life was transformed. I had these very interesting, articulate young queer people to hang out with who's, and, you know, who's, uh, basically chatted about having as much sex as possible <laughs> and or otherwise they were discussing politics because yeah in, you know, loads of stuff needs doing it wasn't just 377 in gay but india is full of stuff that needs sorting out altogether you know so uh actually in fact i just saw there was something passed me by either 
in the paper or on social media, some woman got herself a certificate saying she's managed to erase both caste and religion from her identity officially as a piece of paper. So those two things really have to go, you know, like really who cares about religion and caste? It really, you know, yeah. they have to put it aside because that's where all these hierarchies come from. I mean, you described this very interesting regional mix of which should be a positive thing that there are Malus and there are Punjabis and there are, yeah. you know, Bengalis and, and there's people from Sindh and whatever. And why should it matter if they're Hindu or Muslim or, or Buddhist or whatever, you know? So, and then the whole caste thing is ridiculous. Uh, oh, God. You know, that who's a Jat and who's this and all of that. No, I think what, I, I, think what yes. I do want to say before I forget is yes, that yes, please, please. when you lived in that period that covered in It's a Sin, uh, do you remember at the beginning, some of them were like, not feeling part of it. Yes. It was something happening over there. And, uh, but I think the 80s, there was so much oppression from the tabloid press and from the state and from the police and from Section 28 and then from AIDS that it kind of forced a hell of a lot of people to A, come out and B, get together in a way that they might not have. So people were much more like politicized. So when you had Chich, if you, you know, if you if you had a hookup, people would talk about twenty eight. Yeah. They talk like it wasn't just people were wanting to talk about this, which is what I found in Delhi just now. People, it wasn't just in the sex. There was also this other stuff. But what I find more recently is that because we don't have those kind of police harassment, section twenty eight, you know, killer diseases around, uh, people have become what should we say, a little bit complacent. They think everything is fine. So I like to remind us that everything is only fine because we are vigilant and we have the law on our side. But you saw what happened in India. The law was changed and it was changed twice. It just, if Boris wanted to change the law tomorrow, he could. Anyone can change Agreed. the law, you know. It's like an on, you know, uh, expansive onward, things get better and better, they don't. Things can do a U-turn. Look what happened in Germany in the 1930s. That is huge gay culture that was destroyed, you know, in the middle of the 1930s. Yeah. Do you think it's a kind of, it's just a simple yes or no, but I, I don't know if I sometimes follow into this, like I follow politics and I, I like to be knowledgeable and I, I will admit to the fact that I'm ignorant on a lot of things. But do you think that it's kind of, if you're, from the LGBTQ plus community, or regardless just of that, that in today's age, we can't, we can't be complacent when it comes to politics and social issues, that we need to be knowledgeable about certain things and not just live in our own sort of little bubble. Absolutely, yeah. So that's, there's always been that tension <laughs> because we talk about the community, yes. but then half the community is happy just to go shopping. Well, you know, it's like in the 80s when a lot of us who were Asian were black identified in that political post-colonial way. Mm -hmm. The first problem was that the other half of the Asians didn't think they were black. That, so immediately there was this crisis. And so, uh, so you know, so that, but we, we refer to everybody as the community. I mean, even in, in not just the Asians, but I mean, look at the the, uh, the mainstream white people, the, uh, we have plenty of lovely Tory homosexuals, you know, we had a Tory prime minister. I mean, yeah. so, you know, there's gay right-wing writers, you know, who spread ideas. So, you know, there, it's not like, uh, you know, not everybody's gay and left-wing and, you know, <laughs> trying to, 
know what I mean? No, no, that is very true. But that was, you know, the other thing that when I grew up, uh, not grew up, but when I landed in Canada, they were having a big crisis about the French and the English. I went to Montreal. So they didn't care about anybody else. So they they weren't having an Asian problem. Yeah, the Asians were all invisible. They were all in the suburbs doing engineering and computer science. I don't know, whatever, you know, very techie things. So it wasn't until I came to London that I realized that there's an Asian problem here, you know, that I was belonged to a problematic community that people didn't like. And so, so that puts a whole other shade on it, you know, because that makes it even more difficult in a way. Because one of the things we did at Shakti was uh, people didn't like, people were very afraid to go out on their own to, on the gay scene because it was so white. I mean, I guess it still is, but people were felt anxious. So, uh, so Shakti was built around, like your program, around chai and samosa afternoons on Caledonian Road at London Friend. So that was, again, that was a convenient time for our young Asian boys to get away from home and not have to explain every minute what they were doing. They could be absent at 4 p.m. on a Sunday. So, uh, yeah, so then sometimes uh, we would, some some of us, like older guys would take a whole bunch of the younger ones out to the West End to some gay bars. And and when we arrived in the group of 10 people, that everybody would part, you know, they would, all the people inside would move away and create a space. Like, it was really strange because I don't think they'd seen this sort of statement by a whole bunch of Asians walking in and trying to occupy a space in a gay bar. I hope you enjoyed that section from my chat with Sunil. If you would like to listen to the entire episode, scroll down to episode 17. I will also link all of the information in the bio. Like I said, the actual episode is quite juicy because we talk about sex, politics, and so much more. So (laughs) make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Share us in your stories and tag us in the TikToks and whatever ox and spread the love. I will leave you as I always do. Stay curious and until next time.